Hey, and welcome to Hypnotize Me, the podcast about hypnosis, transformation, and healing. This is Dr. Elizabeth Bonet, and I'm your host. This podcast is not a substitute for mental health treatment, nor should it be. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, please seek a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so if you'd like to learn more about me, you can do that at my website, drlizhypnosis.com. That's D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. Now on to our episode. Dr. Liz here. I have a wonderful episode for you this week. But before I get into that, I just want to say thank you to all my listeners. I am going over 50,000 downloads this week. And I think it's just wonderful. I know I'm a smaller podcast. That's not a whole lot to a lot of the bigger podcasts, but I'm a smaller niche podcast and I just appreciate my listeners so much. So thank you everyone for listening and emailing me and asking me questions and my guests for coming on and um, just sticking with me through this journey. It really is a journey and I love doing it and I love telling you guys about hypnosis and research and theories and interviewing people. I really, really love it. So I just want to say I'm grateful this week and thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's jump into today's episode. It is about healing as part of ourselves that attracts a relationship that's not appropriate for you. A bad relationship, let's call it what it is, okay? A bad relationship. So I am going to use you a lot in this episode, but obviously this may not apply to you. There's plenty of people who do not attract people who aren't appropriate for them, bad partners, um, painful partners, painful relationships. But I hear all the time from people who do attract really painful partners and relationships. And like I said last week, I struggled with this in part of my own life as well. So I know how painful it is to be really strongly attracted to someone and know that you really shouldn't be with them, that they don't treat you well or they don't um, speak to you well or they're not good for you. You know, we're not talking about just mild... um, relationship stuff where someone loses their temper from time to time. I'm really talking about on a level that's more like abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, or a partner who's completely unstable and out of control. And that often turns into abuse. So I'm really talking about a a more severe level here. Okay. And you all know that I'm a borderline personality disorder specialist, as well as children of narcissistic parents. I see a lot of them, and sometimes that overlaps, BPD, borderline personality, and um, children of narcissistic parents in PD, absolutely. So I may see more of this in my practice than, let's say, a typical psychotherapist, I don't know. And I've also said before on the podcast that I'm one of the therapists who will treat a sociopath. But often it's the sociopath that the borderline is dating, and they're not a a good match. They're not appropriate. I remember being at a networking meeting one time. It's a small group of women. And one of the women said, well, you know, giraffes don't marry elephants. Giraffes marry giraffes. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, 
you'll find a borderline narcissistic pairing or borderline sociopath pairing, or you'll find someone who's a borderline sociopath, okay, borderline personality disorder and a sociopath, and they'll, they'll partner with other personality disorders. This just blew me away. This is about whew, 15 years ago or so, I would say that I heard this, but I begin to notice that she's right. It doesn't have to be this way though. The relationship doesn't have to be painful. You can heal the part of yourself that's attracted to a relationship that causes you pain instead of love. Like somewhere in your early, early programming, whether you wanna call that your neural brain pathways, which is probably it is actually, your social environment, your genetics, whatever that is, you got imprinted somehow that pain equals love that this part of love isn't, the good part of love isn't available to you. All those like wonderful, supportive, lifeline relationships that you hear other people talk about, that somehow that wasn't available to you, that some part of you didn't deserve that. And then you begin to build on that. So you choose relationships that prove that to you. Now, some of these theories come from Dr. Joyce Glasser, I'm gonna say that. And some of these come from reading all the borderline research that I've always read, the workbooks, the all of that. And I do believe you can recover from borderline personality disorder. I know that you won't see a book out there that says that in terms of like, no, it can completely go away. There's plenty of books that say you can manage it, you can control it, you can be much more stable. I really believe that it can disappear from your life. Like that's no longer you. Perhaps that's the book I'm gonna write in the future. But I've talked to several other people who have had that experience. I think a significant part of that is doing the recovery piece, the hard work, the workbooks, the worksheets, um, dialectical behavior therapy or another one of the structured therapies are very effective for that. And I think another piece is healing on a deeper level, okay, healing the subconscious mind. So all of those therapies heal the conscious mind. And parts of DBT heal the subconscious too because it talks a lot about mindfulness and meditation. And I really believe that that's healing the subconscious mind, not just the conscious. The theory is, is that when negative attraction is healed on a deeper level, there's a, a reorientation that goes on in the subconscious mind that then facilitates positive attraction, meaning attracting someone who's good for you or being attracted to someone who's good for you. So they go together. The more healing and the more work you do around being a better person, being more stable yourself, you're going to attract more stable, better people. And it doesn't take a psychologist to tell you that. You, see, you look around and see that, right? Like someone who's really stable and loving and kind, they're generally not attracted to someone who's out of control, acting out on them, cursing at them, yelling at them, you know, doesn't hold their own job, um, emotionally is just up and down and up and down. No, they'll, you know, cut losses and leave, right? They may do a couple of dates, but then they're gone. The flip side of that is often the unstable person is not attracted to that kind of person. There you seem boring to them. There's no intensity there. When you heal on a deeper level, 
those changes begin to happen to where you're picking a partner where you both feel good, you both feel stable, you both can support each other, you can both even navigate a crisis without completely like freaking out and acting out and you know doing all kinds of uh, bullshit for lack of a better term, okay? Doing all kinds of bullshit. Um, the benefits is you also release counterproductive identities, meaning are you always the caretaker? Are you always the controller? Are you always being controlled? You release those identities when you move on to a deeper level. You no longer need to step into them. You also become less reactive to your partner's behavior. Often, when you have this in your subconscious that you really don't deserve love, a good relationship, um, a stable relationship, a stable partner, what will happen is that you'll immediately react to what they say. So meaning like you feel like you're always wrong or you're they're always putting you in a position where you feel like a loser or you can't do anything they want right or even that they don't love you. That's a big one for borderlines in particular is feeling like their love person is going to abandon them. So those feelings go away of, oh my God, if they abandon me, then I feel completely dissolved here, you know, and then they go in, the borderlines will go into a cycle of trying to get that person back. It's this very common phrase in the field that you see all the time is like, I hate you, don't leave me. I hate you, don't leave me. So they'll go into these intense feelings of, um, despising their partners, but then they don't want their partner to leave them. It's a split that goes on. When they talk about splitting and borderline, this is like existing in the black and white. Someone's either completely good or completely bad, and that can change within a day for someone who's not functioning very well and not able to really check that out and move more towards the gray area. That's the goal when you're treating borderline personality disorder is let's recognize and live more in the gray area, the middle in between here, not the extremes, because extremes cause all of these emotions to happen that aren't fun or pleasant to deal with. They're felt intensely, they're reactive, and they're painful. So when you go into a deeper level of healing on the subconscious level, then you're taking that reactivity out and you become less reactive to behavior which previously you interpreted as negative against you, abandonment, all of those behaviors. Um, my partner must not love me because he rolled his eyes. I mean, partners should not roll their eyes. I'm just going to say that. But I'm saying like it happens sometimes, right? And you can picture a couple that sort of laughs about this and says, honey, you rolled your eyes at me. And they say, I'm sorry, and they move on, right? Or it can cause a three-hour fight in some couples. So it's less painful if you're in the first category, if you both sort of laugh and be like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, moving on. And then the other partner doesn't take it personally either. That doesn't mean that this person is going to leave me, abandon me, doesn't love me, and is out of here. Because that's also the the interpretations that often a borderline will make. So you become non-reactive. Now this is true in married couples as well. This doesn't necessarily mean someone you're dating. It may be someone you're committed to long-term, regardless of whether you're married. 
that your behavior to them, your feelings to them become less reactive when you go into a deeper level of healing. And then when that happens, the partnership, the marriage becomes easier to be in. It becomes more loving. It becomes more kind. It becomes more conversation, uh, meaning conversation that happens around, well, what did you mean by that? And let's talk about it. And Let's see if we can work this out. And even I need to take care of myself over here for a little bit. Like I need to go take a break and I'll come back and we're going to talk about this at four o'clock when we're both calmer. You know, the Gottmans talk about this too. I'm trained in the Gottmans couples therapy, which is one of the most researched couples therapy on the planet. I can honestly say that they've been researching over 30 years and they'll often talk about couples when they fight, if the heart rates go up above a certain level, it's about 100 beats per minute, then the connective centers shut down. You're not going to get anything done in terms of really connecting and relating to each other. And you both need to take a break. takes about 20 minutes to bring that heart rate down and then come back to the topic. Now, sometimes you don't have the 20 minutes to come back to the topic. You have to go to work or you have to, um, you have somewhere to be then in that case, you have to make an agreement, okay, we're going to talk about this tonight at seven or tomorrow at 10 or when, you know, whenever that is. So some safety is created there. Like we are going to come back to this. We're not just going to let it hang out there. But my point here is that you have to be at a certain level of functioning to be able to tolerate that even to be able to tolerate those hours in between. I had this experience myself. I, I know the difference in my felt body to where I was in a relationship where I I couldn't tolerate that. Um, I had to talk right then or I felt like I was just going to be abandoned, going nuts. You know, I had an early death in my own life. My father died when I was 18 and it would evoke all these things without my conscious knowledge of it. I had to do a lot of work myself in therapy to say, okay, this doesn't mean that. And this doesn't mean this. And to be able to even tolerate that period of like, okay, you know, all we're doing here is calming down. Nobody's leaving anybody else. The abandonment is only in my imagination. That's it. And I can tell you, it feels very different. It feels a lot less painful when you're on the side of being able to self-soothe yourself, being able to reassure yourself, being able to just take your mind off of it some and having the assurance that this person will be there, that they're not disappearing. And that can happen in a longer term secure relationship. Okay, we're not talking about like early dating um, in that first month or two where you're really not sure if you want to be in a relationship with someone, right? Like anyone's free to leave at any time. I mean, you can be in a marriage of 20 years and someone's still free to leave that marriage. But certainly at the beginning of dating, then people are free to leave and hopefully they have integrity and will communicate that to you and be clear about, hey, this isn't working out for me or it's not a match or something like that. And then you end the relationship cleanly. That doesn't always happen though. You know, there's a term called ghosted and ghosting that means somebody just completely disappears, no text, no call, no email, no no communication, nothing. Well, it's a term in our culture right now because people do that. They just completely disappear because they don't have the integrity or the courage to just say to someone, hey, this isn't a match, that's it. 
okay? Two or three lines. Somehow that's lacking in their own belief system that they have the ability to do that and also they have the respect of other people to do that. So that's also respecting someone else as an individual and knowing they have feelings. All right, that was sort of a tangent here. So let's get more into how this happens. Okay, it is often these imprints that happen in childhood that create who we think we need to be attracted to later in life. Growing up in an alcoholic home, or with parents that abuse drugs, or parents that emotionally abuse you, or parents that abandon you, or it may be something that it's not like the parents controlled at all. Like a parent who develops an illness and doesn't have the physical strength or energy to be available to their children, or a parent that dies, obviously those aren't things that people control. What happens though is that the child develops this identity thinking that this is what love means. This is what love is. And some of these are survival strategies. Okay, so mostly our survival strategy is self-preservation. That means, okay, well, my mom's over there drinking and I know I have to stay really quiet and not express my feelings or that I even need to eat here to make sure that she doesn't go off and hit me. And then that causes me physical pain. So a child learns to do that and imprints that as this is what I do to stay safe in a love relationship. Okay, so then later in life, you could see that that could easily translate to, I need to stay quiet here with my partner, whether or not they're alcoholic. I need to stay quiet, not express my feelings and just, you know, go off on this corner and hide. And that could be physically or emotionally as an adult, in order to preserve myself, in order to stay safe. Now, another primary drive we have is to be with others. They've pretty much identified this as very much biologically driven, that the social environment ensures our survival as children. If there is no one around us and we're born as infants, we we will die, period, right? And that the tribe ensures survival. Now, as we've become more isolated as a culture, and I know that people listen to this podcast around the world, so this may be true of your culture or not. There's some cultures that still really value family and social and um, being around people. In the U.S., I think it's less and less of a value, which is really sad to see because I do think it's a biological drive. And when that has happened, you also see all these rates of addiction and suicide and all these problems rise. So they go together. So that's one of our primary drives is to be with someone. And so we're going to work to maintain that. <laughs> okay, Our little selves work and work and work to maintain social connections. And often that's your primary relationship or establishing a primary relationship. So if your early imprint is this is what I have to do, to keep this part of my life stable, to keep in relationship with other people, you can see how later that would be a problem because it creates a painful existence for someone if you're compelled to stay in a relationship with someone who isn't good to you, treats you well, causes you pain, all of that stuff that goes on. 
versus let's see if you can find someone where that's not the case or change the relationship you are in your marriage or committed relationship to where you both feel good you both feel stable you both feel like you support each other and that you truly love each other so not ending up alone it's a primary drive but let's make that one that's less painful for you is really the goal the other drive is to be safe at home now i know from my work with people that often this isn't just as straightforward as what I'm making it sound like. Often it looks like their home from the outside was stable, happy. But when you start to dive deeper into their subconsciously held beliefs, you find that that really wasn't the case. Perhaps that was the picture that was being presented. Or perhaps that was the case 75% of the time, but the other 25% somehow they as a child picked up this negative imprint, picked up these negative held beliefs about themselves. And I've said on the podcast previously in the episode 76 and 77, this isn't always the parents. It can often be a caretaker, a grandparent, extended family, a teacher, um, a friend, a significant friendship, you know, something like that that happens that helps them create the negative belief about themselves. Generally, when you're talking about people who they're attracted to and who they attract, you are talking about primary caretakers. I say primary caretakers because sometimes people grow up without parents, and so other primary caretakers come in and take care of them, and that is often grandparents or if they're in an orphanage or you know something like that, where they begin to gather these ideas about themselves and then begin to act on them in an unhealthy way. So when we go back during core healing and hypnosis, we often discover where that came from, where those thoughts and feelings and beliefs came from, where's the origin of those. And that's where we work to change them, to take out those negative beliefs and put in healthy, positive ones that support the person really attracting a relationship that's good for them that's going to help them grow and feel safe and feel social and get all the good needs met like affection and support and safety and and intimacy because there's nothing worse than being in a relationship and feeling completely alone i remember right after my divorce someone telling me that and he had been in that same type of marriage where he was like you know i at some point chose to be alone that felt better to me than to be in a house and a marriage where i felt completely alone my wife was there and the expectation was this person's going to help me or um, take care of me or listen to me or anything, you know, and this was a very giving person. It wasn't like he was giving, he wasn't giving that stuff back. But when the person is there and you don't get any of that, it creates this anger and resentment and uh, rage sometimes, right? Rage where people then act that out on the partner instead of choosing to be alone. Or I'll go and let's go into therapy. Sometimes a partner isn't appropriate for therapy. Sometimes they have absolutely no interest. Also, I'm not saying that therapy can fix all of that. You know, the developer of the core healing technique, Dr. Glasser, has said that she actually stopped doing couples therapy 
because she felt like if you heal these deeper subconsciously held beliefs about a person, then the marriage is going to improve, period. Like, let me do one partner and work with them, and then we'll do the other partner and work with them. And together, you'll have that synergy come, and the relationship deepens, and the love deepens, and it gets better. So that was her take on it. She stopped doing couples therapy after a while. I believe that couples therapy can be really effective and really helpful, but you do have to have two people who want to engage in it to have that happen. So I'm not saying it's a a cure-all for everybody. If you're interested in this kind of work, it is more intensive work than general talk therapy. So just keep that in mind as you enter into it. I do believe it's very effective though in terms of people ending that attraction for someone who's just not good for them and the pain that goes with those relationships. One more story before I go. This happened just yesterday. I was at breakfast with a friend and I've known him for five or six years, I would say. And he said to me, Elizabeth, I think I'm just broken. Like I cannot attract a good female into my life. And so I'm just giving up. Like I'm not having relationships anymore. I'm just going to have, you know, quote unquote, casual relationships. As a psychologist, you know, we always want to say, oh, you're not broken. You're not broken. But I, I was like, okay, yeah, people get broken. They do. Sometimes our parents break us. Sometimes it's our grandparents, someone who raised us break us. Or sometimes it's an abandonment breaks us. But I believe that we can go in and heal and fix that broken part. I do believe that. You know, there's that Japanese concept of kintsugi. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right, and I should probably YouTube that at some point. But it's that art where they'll take a broken piece and they'll they'll fix it with gold or silver or platinum. And so this this piece that was broken becomes even more beautiful. I really believe that about core healing and being able to go into the subconscious and fix this broken piece of somebody until it's really this beautiful, gold, valuable piece of them that they can take forward and feel like they are fixed now, feel like they can move forward in life without this fear hanging over them, without this feeling that they're broken. That's where I'm going to end today. All right. You can always find more information at my website, drlizhypnosis.com. And this is intensive work, but it is worth it. That's what I believe. Peace. Have a wonderful week, everyone. I hope you truly enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis.